Hey guys, this is Scott at phasingplayer.com. I am bringing you today the next part of my Matt Eklund interview. In it, we talk about Pax Porfiriana, End Zone, a maybe kind of unknown Eklund title, and Pax Renaissance. So enjoy. You know, really, really changes the the face of sort of a niche anyway. Um, Pax Porfiriana is the next thing, and we talked about it before. Uh, and that took yeah. the Lord's model, Lords of the Sierra Madre specifically, uh, which right. I've heard a lot of people, I've read some kind of older reviews of Lords of the Sierra Madre that are very, very positive on it. But it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it was a giant commercial success, right? It was, it no. sort of was a niche no. of a niche of a niche. As, uh, as I may have intimated earlier, I, uh, Lords of the Sierra Madre second edition almost destroyed Sierra Madre games. Um, yeah. And it, um, uh, it was, um, I'm sure it was very hard. I'm sure it was very hard for Phil and, um, as is tough, it was not, it was not a good, it was not a good, uh, partnership and it was not, it was not a great or well, um, uh, received, uh, game in the form that, that ended up being, uh, published, mm -hmm. but, Lords of the Sierra Madre was one, was absolutely one of my favorite games growing up. Um, and anyone who's listening to this, who's not familiar with the general Lords concept, because I don't know if Lords really exist. I mean, there are certainly people out there who still play Lords games, but they're going to be few and far between. But the general idea of a Lords game is that you represent some particular mover and shaker within a particular confined uh, time period. And every turn, a new card is drawn and everyone sort of bids on it. You auction off cards every turn. And um, you, you then try to leverage your way to whatever the to whatever the victory conditions are, which in Lord's games are almost always money. So whoever, it's these are finance games, you're supposed to make the most money and win. In Lords of the Sierra Madre, the goal is basically to play as foreign hacendados, investors coming in from outside of Mexico and make as much money through whatever means necessary as possible, cash money, because then the revolution's going to hit and they're going to nationalize everything and take any money that's left in Mexico. So you're really trying to pillage the country um, uh, and get out <laughs> with, as, with as much as you can in Lords, in Lords of the Sierra Madre. It's it's a great game. You're bribing all sorts of interesting units and parties, and there's power ploys and railroads, and things go wrong and things go right and whatever partnerships uh, here, there, and everywhere. It was an extreme negotiation game. Um, it was an extreme uh, economic game, um, and a game I absolutely loved, and I played an epic, an epic shit ton of Lords of the Sierra Madre as a kid. Um, However, by the time I was looking uh, at Jim Goot's um, inspiration, which was to, hey, take, take, this, uh, take this old Lords game, which is a failure, and adapt it to some of the new, more popular, more interesting, more, um, um, I don't know, with little cubes and uh, more intricate mechanics that interlock with each other. Um, rather than just being draw a card free for all, draw a mm -hmm. card free for all, draw a card free for all, which, which, which is probably Mexico in the late 1800s. I mean, let's not be <laughs> free for all, but, um, but to to adopt that um, 
at a very early at a very early point, I decided to make the game um, uh, political, um, or at least have the the possibility of a of a of a political outcome. And this is um, Pax Porfiriana. The the this is Pax Porfiriana, and so the game is 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 you know, has many of the same things. You're a foreign ostinato. You get a certain amount of money and you're doing things. But it isn't the amount of money that you have at the end of the game unless things have gone really wrong. Uh, it isn't about the amount of money that will win at the end of the game. Instead, you're trying to um, depose uh, Porfirio Diaz or be named his successor. And there's a million interesting ways that you can do that. And in reality, there were a million attempts. There were, there were <laughs> guys coming out of the woodwork with crazy ideas and how to uh, how to get this thing accomplished. And there were revolutions and counter revolutions and counter counter revolutions. Um, and it was just an interesting, a really interesting time period that I had already grown up learning about through Burroughs and Banditos and Lords of the Sierra Madre. Um, a lot of the historical research had already been done. I mean, Phil already had, you know, a bunch of interesting cards and ideas that I was able to heavily mine uh, for mine. But I was able to read more modern texts uh, um, and add some of the more nuanced political um, uh, things into the game. Um, and so the game, you know, I made the game. Uh, it had hundreds of unique cards. It... Um, it was a competition to try to either be loyal to Diaz or overthrow Diaz in sort of a junta-like competition. The first design only had two colors of victory points. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But all the other stuff, all the other, uh, all the other actions from speculation to land buying and all these, all these other interactions, using cubes to represent uh, income streams was Jim Goot's idea. I stole that directly from uh, uh, from his early efforts. Um, but all the other uh, uh, card exchanges and things like that were pretty much done when Phil said, hey, I, I need a game this year. I don't have a game this year. Do you have anything? Um, and I sent him the game. He added a third color, which was white. And in classic... In just classic Sierra Madre games, cost-cutting methods, the cards were going to be full color on one side, but black and white on the other. And so, <laughs> and so having one of the victory colors be white allowed us to place points on some of the double-sided cards that uh, uh, that did that. So, for example, little-known fact: there's two common cards uh, in the game, public cards, which were later added for um, uh, for balance reasons, and there's two of them are white. And people point to that as being some like genius, you know, uh, part of our our, uh, our design process to to bump up the command uh, uh, victory, which we intentionally left a little bit uh, a little bit light handed in the game. Uh, but the reality is, is that we could only put command on the other side of both of those cards because they were black and white on those sides. <laughs> couldn't put any other couldn't put any other colors on those. Hey man, it's so, it, um, those sort of limitations are what breed creativity. That, that's well it worked it worked out phil um uh phil added the white which was had to do with um uh military um overthrow or red or red flag rebellion you know seceding from the uh seceding from mexico which was a, a, a remarkably common occurrence in mexico and one of the states would just say i'm not part of mexico anymore and then the mexican army would come and we'd have a big fight and then they'd be part of mexico again um <laughs> And um, later we added the blue um, 
uh, we added when we put in the U.S. intervention um, uh, regime and all the regimes had already gone in. I had had depression as a regime and Phil uh, pulled that out and made it a separately tracked thing. Um, and he got rid of some of the mine stuff, uh, distinguishing copper and gold. But other than that, I mean, the game was pretty much done when, when we when we put it out. Phil um, put my favorite card in the game, which is Teddy Roosevelt in the game. I thought that was, that was spectacular. Um, so, so, you, was, so you more or less delivered a an almost ready to go game then uh to phil and he then you got tweaked a little bit and then that's what we have now so you you, you so you're largely responsible then for the pack system that that's in play i would 100 percent say that i was the lead designer in pax porfiriana and that um the game there was a lot there was development work done with the game um that i was involved with afterwards um, but, um, and the game wouldn't exist at all without, without Jim, without Jim Goot, who, who, uh, uh, who came up with the whole, the whole idea. If you want to give uh, credit for PAX, uh, the PAX system or PAX concept to someone, you should give it to Jim Goot. He's the one who actually came up with the, uh, with the inspiration to try to convert some of Phil's old behemoths into, uh, more palatable, um, card games, um, I would give I would give that credit to I would give that credit to Jim, but there were certain there were certain mechanisms like the marketplace. The, you know, I always liked the auctions of old, but they took forever. And it, you know, so building a a free floating auction system into the game by having cards show up that cost more on one end than the other. Um, the, Pax Profiriana was not the first game uh, was not the first game to do that, but I, I was. Um, enthusiastic about adopting that in a, and having players interact with the marketplace directly, not just by buying cards, but also by speculating on cards. Um, that certainly became, I think, a big part of uh, what later became the other PAX games. Um, and PAX Porfiriana is a game that it's yet again, it's just another situation where I designed the game. I didn't feel like there was that stuff out there. I didn't feel like you were going to find a game. I thought it was way too obtuse and way too obscure to, to find commercial success. I was not expecting it uh, uh, to do well. I was not expecting it to do well at all. Well, it this year, really, Monday, it already, it really is. It's become like almost the the uh, signature of Sierra Madre games, I think. Not, not just Porfiriana, but the PAX series in general. Uh, yeah, it, like every to everyone I've talked to that is like loosely familiar with Sierra Madre always men mentions a PAX game. Um, most recently, it's it's been Premiere, uh, but Renaissance also yeah. gets a lot of a lot of comments, right? So, sure, I, I'd say for you know for better or for worse, probably for better. But uh, would you would you say that that PAX Perfiriana like? really rocketed Sierra Madre into kind of the, the company that it is now? No, no, no? I, would, I would not. I think High Frontier, of the projects that, I think High Frontier is that, if you would ask me what's the defining product of Sierra Madre games, I'd say High Frontier by, by a mile, by 10 miles, by 100 miles. I, I, I think High Frontier represents what Sierra Madre games is about a lot more than Pax Porfiriana. Um, which, I mean, is largely inspired in this re, uh, a retooled Lords game, um, uh, in you know, in some ways. Um, yeah, I would say it's High Frontier. 
Okay. If you made me choose, I'd choose High Frontier. Okay. Uh, was Pax Porfiriana always intended to be the first in a series? Uh, or did you did it quickly become something where you're like, oh, we can turn this into a series? Oh, no. I, I always held the door open for a series. And it's because originally the game was named Paz Porfiriana. Hmm. Uh, so the span the Spanish uh, the Spanish term for it, I switched it to Pax uh, because that term is also used less uh, for the time period. But because it, it as a Latin thing, I was hoping it could uh, it could inspire a whole Pax line of of retooled Lords games. So Pax uh, um, Spanish main, Pax, you know, whatever. That was the, hmm. the, that was the that was the plan. Um, I had my eyes set on Pax Renaissance. Uh, Lords of the Renaissance was a um, uh, was another really interesting, clunky, bizarre game. Penny penny related game. Um, <laughs> oh no, no! Don't bring the pennies back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I I certainly intended it to at least have the door open for a series. But as I mentioned, I didn't expect any. I did not expect uh, expect success with Pax Perfiriana. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it would just fill a, you know, sort of fill a void in the uh, Serumogeny of the game that year. Whatever year you said it was, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, 2012 is what I got off of uh, Board Game Geek. They were looking for a game. So, um, so yeah, I was very excited uh, when it succeeded. And certainly some of the... Um, some of the clunkier financial uh, mechanisms in that game... Um, inspired me or motivated me to 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 reevaluate the finance systems in um in both renaissance and uh transhumanity um i'd always sort of hoped that the exact same market system with costs and cubes representing income would be translated in mass to the new pax games but that very quickly became impossible when we actually looked at any of the new pax designs that couldn't quite follow the same and it wasn't it wasn't super clean and it still isn't very clean trying to keep track of cubes and income and stuff like that little little chits little crappy tiddly winks or whatever trying to track <laughs> your money things but but hey i'll take a tiddly wink over a penny any day of the week <laughs> let me say that it's uh i like it, i feel like there are eras of Sierra Madre games components uh the to me the like the the first standard component for Sierra Madre titles the early ones are tents uh like so many things have you you know cutting out a strip of cardboard and folding it and then or maybe around Porfiriana or maybe High Frontier it turned into tiddlywinks uh that were in everything Uh, and I, I'll, I'll take tiddlywinks over tents but I'll 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 side with you I'll I'll take either of those over pennies Great. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. <clears throat> I'm glad you skipped over the copper age or the zinc <laughs> age or whatever yes. these things are made of. Looking back on Porfiriana, do you, like obviously it, it went on to sort of spawn this monster of a series for Sierra Madre. Do you look back at the game and think like, man, I would love to, you know, do it a little differently or change something or do something beyond living rules, which we, we can talk about living rules in general in a minute. But as far as Porfiriana sure. goes, do you feel like you missed the mark in some areas that you'd like another shot at? Um, not sufficiently missed the mark that I would want to attempt to 
re redesign the game. Um, there's every pro every project. Any have I ever designed a game where I'm like, this is done, done, like super done? And the answer is no. And I I sort of presume that's the truth for anyone who's sort of designing these projects, but it might also just be a um, an outcome due to the large and complex nature of these that there's going to be interactions that are unexpected and have to be addressed at a later time. Um, I kind of hate living rules as a on like a fundamental level. However, the the problem is is that when you're making these complex interactions with numerous cards and lots of different potential ways that things can, you know, go and lots of different potential outcomes and with really smart players out there who are figuring out ways to leverage things against each other in ways you never anticipated. Um, I certainly understand their value. Um, I certainly understand their value and, and even in, you know, more recently on Trains Humanity, it took almost no time at all for players to figure out how to improve the game. <laughs> uh, we always had scaling issues. I always, uh, you know, the original, when I, you know, when I sent it in, I had a certain scaling thing. You, you draw 36 cards plus five per player. Or something. I don't remember what it was exactly, but um, it was supposed to scale per player, but you, you play testers it was dragging or something like that and uh and so they got rid of some of these things i don't have a fundamental problem if scaling doesn't work out perfectly if your three-player game is really different than a four-player game then uh, so what I don't, I don't care too much about that but um but there you know there was um I trained humanity. There's variants that that people put up to uh, make tycoon victories less likely in the two-player game. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a very welcome. I think that those should be added to the living rules because I think they fundamentally improve the game. The tycoon victory was added um, uh, later in the process. Not super well play tested. Presumably not play tested enough in the two-player uh, variety. Otherwise, we should have spotted this issue. Um, and so I don't, from that end, you know, that's a welcome change. Good, good job. Good job, guys. <laughs> okay. So that, that's a little surprising to hear that you're not really a fan of living rules considering how common they are with Sierra Madre titles. Like I, I struggle right now to think of any Sierra Madre title that doesn't have a living rules document, you know? Yeah, if I haven't made it clear that I don't in any way control Sierra Madre games, then I have <laughs> then I have failed my job as an interviewee subject. So once upon a time, uh, uh, me and Phil were pretty close. We lived in the same town. We lived in the same house. Uh, we, we would go to dinner all the time, or we would be talking about these things. Um, and then uh, he moved uh, to Germany. He retired. Uh, from his job here, moved to moved to Germany and um, pursued his dream of being a, a game designer. And despite all of the technology or whatever, thousands of miles of distance has dramatically decreased our, our uh, interactions and communications. And in no way have I ever been consulted or uh, 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 it's extremely rare that I know 
what's happening with Sierra Madre games before people on board game geek know. And I, uh, it is not uncommon for me to learn that, Oh, a game I designed is being republished in French or, or Portuguese or whatever. Now uh, reprinted in Spanish before, uh, 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 board game. I find out by going on board game geek and being like, Oh, that's a thing that's happening. Oh, interesting. Um, so, um, I am not Sierra Madre games. I don't speak for Sierra Madre games. And, um, uh that would be that would be phil so all the living rules things which have got to be just an epic pain trying to keep track of changes and accept changes and not accept changes and which ones are good and which ones are not all after all in that period of time after designing a project when you're just exhausted with the whole thing and don't ever want to hear it ever again that's got to be really hard and so i'm very impressed with the efforts um of of phil over the course of his entire uh, his entire uh, uh design life to maintain living rules and to care about his projects enough not to just be like do whatever is written in the thing um but um on a fundamental level i don't like the idea of uh us not sending people a box that tells you the accurate and correct way of how to play the game <laughs> <laughs> Well, the best way to play the game I mean, that feels like a feels like a failure to some to some extent but um yeah i know i certainly know people so that it is. say i don't care about living rules i'm gonna play the game with the rule book in the box and that's it uh and yeah ideally the included rule book in a game is sufficient to play it to a to a reasonable level that doesn't have some wild imbalance or some some giant hole that you can't figure out you know in 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 the logic uh, so yeah. I certainly understand. I, I certainly understand that, um, that yeah, the, the mindset of the rules should be the rules, uh, that living rules can be a pain, you know, especially, especially well after the fact, like I, you know, as I've been delving into some of the older, um, Sierra Madre titles, uh, seeking out the most up-to-date rules or the, the commonly accepted rule sets for fans of the game can be a huge, <laughs> huge pain. Uh, some of the games change dramatically from the living rules to the, you know, the written rules, some barely change at all, but it can always be, especially now in web hosting. I know when I was, um, when you had sent me Kriegbot and I was looking for, uh, uh, rules for the expansion and they were in living rules somewhere. Uh, I ended up having to go to archive.org to find, you know, a file saved somewhere through them. (laughs) Um, and like, yeah, it, it can be unwieldy, certainly. But uh, well, now also look, like he's Scott, got Creekbot. Creekbot has we haven't supported the software for Creekbot in two decades or whatever. I mean, uh, this is uh, we're not still. Uh, uh, no one buys Creekbot anymore, Scott. <laughs> what I'm saying, Matt, is I I am demanding a refund of my money here. <laughs> I've been sold a half finished product. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it's. Yeah, the living rules. I feel like the living rules debate is going to be something that people online will talk about forever. Uh, yeah, sure. And but uh, a game, a game that did have a, I'd hesitate to call it living rules, but it did have a rules update. Is your um, your your classic the the venerable uh, 2013 release Endzone. <laughs> end zone classic and venerable These are, uh, <laughs> I, I think it might be up to 100 downloads now scott would be my uh oh, my I, guess is to be presented with that i am one of them though i will say i have not <clears throat> yet played it i do have the files uh, and i have printed them up 
Uh, well, that's uh, I am um, I am a uh, uh, American football fan, or I should say, I became an American football fan in the exact way that you would expect a gamer to become an American football fan, which would be in 2005 when I was in law school and I got recruited to play in the law school fantasy football league. <laughs> of course, the fantasy and football so. Um, I, I think most gamers who get into football got through via a game rather than via uh, uh, the sport uh, itself. But, you know, maybe that's just speculation. Um, <clears throat> but I really I really got into it. Um, uh, a friend uh, a friend of mine uh, here in Tucson uh, back then, a guy named Sean uh, Siegel, um, provided input. Chris Peters, who I, I don't think I mentioned his name, but is an absolutely integral part of Sierra Madre's history uh, and is probably in the playtester list of every single Sierra Madre game since I don't know what dates we're throwing back, but a long time ago. Um, he was involved in that project because he liked football. Um, and I also used to play um, Madden. <laughs> I, was a, I was a Madden player on the most elite of systems, the Nintendo Wii. Oh, sure. I was a, yeah. I was, I was a relevant Madden 2009, I think, uh, player. There was a time <laughs> where I got obsessed with that game. I think that was the one and with somewhere, uh, Brett Favre on the cover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's a little eerie. That, that might be exactly right. Um, the, I'll say, I'll, I will tell you, the only reason I know that is because I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. So, <laughs> they, there you go. Should have guessed. Wait, don't you live in Chicago? Don't I they, do. Are you I'm sure from... you're allowed to say that out loud, Scott? <laughs> you know, I'm from Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, and I think, so I, I'm going to guess you're a Cardinals fan, but based Man. on the fact that you came from fantasy football, I'm not sure, but I, I feel like most people are going to be fans of the, the team that they grew up around. Uh, exactly. I grew up around Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I uh, not 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 that early of a childhood memory. I was ten, but a childhood memory of mine is the Packers winning the Super Bowl one year and then losing to the the uh, Broncos the next year, and it was people were mad about it. But uh, <laughs> I moved to Chicago, and I'm still I still wear a Packers hat when I go out. I still wave the the Packers flag. Um, I've made some enemies, but that's fine. You know what, Matt? That's life. Sometimes you make enemies. <laughs> um, but I, I always defend the Packers are the only publicly owned major league sports team in the country. The city of Green Bay owns them, and they're not they 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 provide for the city of Green Bay, and you cannot say that that's a bad thing. Uh, that is intense. I didn't. I did not know. That. Yeah, the the they they don't have a single owner. The owner is the city of Green Bay, and they they issue shares uh, now and again um, that people can buy. They, the way they do in soccer is that is that. Is I think this, I think uh, that's about right. And, yeah, it's yeah. but in but in football in in American sports they are the only the only major sports team that does that. Uh, but awesome. in any event, uh, I'm I, before I guess talk about end zone, which I would like to. Uh, I have to know though because you came you came in from fantasy football. You mm -hmm. you live you live you know in a state that has a football team the Arizona Cardinals because you came in <laughs> from fantasy team, yeah. because you came in from fantasy were you a fan of a team that you had like a star player from or that you had multiple like star players from or are you a Cardinals fan? I'm a, I'm a Cardinals fan. Um, however, have there been years when I've been really rooting for the Chargers or the Colts or the fill in the blank? Yeah, that, that's certainly 
that certainly happened. Or um, uh, years where I've held my nose and rooted for the for the uh, Patriots <laughs> to to lose their game, but to score a lot of points doing so. Yeah. Yes, that's, yeah. that's definitely that's definitely happened. Yeah, I I, I also um, play fantasy. I I understand the plight of I want the Packers to win, but not by that much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Uh... I, I I'm definitely loyal enough that I care more about the Cardinals winning a game, even in a wasted season than I would about fantasy on a given thing. But this is something, you know, I still play, you know, I was recruited in law school. I still play in that league, you know, even though everyone's gone oh, wow. all their separate ways and whatever, like, like that's every year. That is something I look forward to. And, um, brings me solace to know that football, you know, season is, is coming and you find strength in those, in those little things, but rest in um, peace to the, uh, the planned interim of the XFL once again, dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, fill in the blank on whatever, you know, every, every attempt to, to, sure. to fill that void is, has failed. But well, Matt, you were um, attempting to fill a void in a quality football board game with end zone. And that's, uh, that's right. You, and so yeah, well, t- tell yeah. me about it. Tell me about end zone. Well, the the main thing is that when you're playing competitive Madden, you you realize that your play calls and your 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 different like reads and your different um, uh, defensive linemen's are far more important than you would think in a game. You know, certainly before I started playing Madden. I was aware of sports video games. I'd certainly played sports video games, but I wasn't aware of how the sort of higher end strategy, the sort of zoomed out strategy that has a lot more um, effect on the game than you think it would. And is, is not, does not involve pressing a certain button at the exact time, you know, mm-hmm. hand eye coordination, dexterity and stuff. It's, um, a, stra- it's a strategy it's, game. Right. It is. In many ways, it is. A, it is a strategy game and there's a lot of execution in there, but there's a lot of strat- there's a lot of strategy in there. And so I wanted to make a game that would emulate that. And the first thing I did was go look for a game that emulated that. And I tried a bunch of different games, pizza box football and some others. And I didn't find anything that was even close to what I was looking for. I mean, there was some like hardcore simulation stuff, um, but I wanted something that was fast i needed something faster there was more zoomed out there was more you know head faking and mind games um and so um really my madden experience which like i said was not very long maybe a year uh, maybe a year long before i got angry and gave the whole thing up but um uh gave me a lot of sort of general knowledge about how these things work and i was able to apply that and to to create an abstract card game that was based on it um, it's, it's zoomed out. It uses field position and things like that. Um, rather than counting individual yards and individual player locations and things like that, you have two players who are plotting particular, uh, particular plays. However, there's some of that mental games ahead of time because there's cards that you can play that will affect your sets or affect your personnel. Um, ahead of time, it's a simple, it's a very simple game. You plot, each side plots a card, you flip it up, and then one card will tell you which edge of the opposing card to compare it to. And then you literally slide those cards together, and it gives you a little chart. And you roll on the chart, and you see what happens. And then there's various special cards that can affect different things. It's really a, a, a pretty a pretty fundamentally simple game, but 
one that I knew had no hope in the in the Sierra Madre game lineup, and um, I'm not a marketer. You know, I'm not. I'm not a. a, a certainly at that time, is not a confident uh, game designer. Could just go out to, to some random company somewhere and be like, "Hey, come for, publish my game." But I thought that maybe <laughs> someone would like it, so I uh, I uh, added some fonts or whatever and typed up the rules, which are like two pages long or something, and, and put it out there in the universe. And um, as a print and play on uh, on Board Game Geek, and there were uh, there were several people who uh, uh, mentioned interest in trying to make off season rules or, um, uh, or or things like that. Nothing's ever nothing's ever particularly come of it, but it's literally you know I made fun of McDraw in 1997 or something earlier in this mm-hmm. in our conversation, but this is this is elite Matt Eklund graphic design here. <laughs> this is like. An X is bad and a dot is not good and a, you know. I, I want to say, <laughs> I think on I think on Board Game Geek you might have called it Hunchback Ugly. <laughs> that sounds like me. I will say that sounds like me, Scott. I don't remember saying that, but that sounds like me. Yeah. Um, I when I when I was going like through your catalog a while ago to see what else you would put out. Because uh, I'm I'm a fan of your games, Matt. I th- I think you make some of the best stuff that's come out of Sierra Madre. Even if you are not officially part of the company, I, you know, you're the games that you're involved with that have come out through them by and large have been my favorite ones from that company. Uh, and so when I've seen when when I saw that you you know put out a football game called end zone that seemed like i had to like do a do a double take i think i was like is that right you put out a game like about uh you know revolutionary mexico and then later uh the like giant scope of the renaissance and then a futurist game and all this stuff and then a football game that's that seemed so off-brand but what you're telling me, like it, it sounds like you know your interests. Your, your, believe it or not, your interests seemed varied and not one-dimensional. So, uh, I guess it's that it's, is true. It's cool that you've um, that you you kind of harnessed what would sort of be a strange thing compared to the rest of your catalog and turned it into a to a kind of neat little football game. Well, well, thank you, Scott. That's uh, that's very kind to say. I um. I, I, I'm confident that that Endzone will um, uh, never see the light of day in any in any meaningful way. But it's another design that I do look back on warmly. I I, I feel like there was some cleverness in all uh, in those interactions, and that you know maybe it'll get some maybe someone somewhere will get some play out of it. Yeah, it it um it very much seems like a a pretty well formed idea. Uh, you know, from looking at the rules and, and I, I've, I've set it up and kind of, you know, played around with it a bit. It seems like something that was sort of in development, maybe not like hardcore in development, but something you were sort of working on and, and put out what you had. Um, it feels like something that could be returned to at some point, um, do you, but you don't think that you will. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't think I will, but I mean, that's just, the, I mean, that's for a lot of reasons, but. I have a competitive advantage, Scott, in designing certain types of games. A football card game, a light football card game, is not one of those. Is not one of those. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, after Endzone, uh, I guess something very similar to a light football card game was another card game, uh, Pax Renaissance. Uh, that oh yeah, is, super similar. Yeah, it's basically Endzone Second Edition, as far as I can tell. Uh, 
Pax Renaissance is, I think, in a lot of ways, the if if High Frontier is like the the peak of the mountain for complex Sierra Madre releases, Pax Renaissance is like right at its heels. Uh, Pax Renaissance is a beast. Like it is, it is shocking to me still that it's in such a small box, given the fact that it has all this scope and scale and and systems involved in it. And the production of the game seemed you you had written a couple of designer diaries about Pax Renaissance. Uh, it yes. seemed like quite the development of that game. I think I think you had said in a in a diary that it went through like nine revisions or something like that, like nine major revisions. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. What's What's your recollection about uh, like deciding to like this is the next game that that that's going to get get created? Yeah, it was brutal. Uh, so Pax, Pax Renaissance, I mean, I always wanted Pax Renaissance to be the second, um, to be the second Pax game that was going to be published. Pax, Lords of the Renaissance was the most successful Lords game other than Lords of the Sierra Madre. So, hey, you know, here we go to Pax Renaissance. It's an interesting time period. And I built, I built a design, um, for that game and it involved a very, um, significant, map with all the cities and city states and uh um uh i mean it looked like a uh you know maybe a here i stand or something similar um map of europe and and turkey and uh, northern africa um i built a game that had um, a power structure track that would compare the relative military strengths of the different empires um, that involved loan cards and conspiracy cards and all sorts of mechanisms uh, to build this game. And it turns out at the exact same time, Phil was designing <laughs> his own Pax Renaissance that um, uh, was entirely different and focused on a very different question, which had to do with um classes it had to do with class structure in the renaissance and the undermining of the traditional medieval uh way of thinking and so these two designs were both terrible were both terrible and they were both <laughs> awful um and we playable but not good in in any way and if i if i remember correctly he'd already moved to germany by this time um, and so we are firing shots from afar at each other with, you know, here's the map and here's the new rules. And have you actually even tried this thing and whatever? And meanwhile, I'm doing play tests on my end and he's doing play tests on his end and, uh, and et cetera. And the two designs crashed into each other. Um, and, uh, Phil's design was ultimately superior. I mean, it was ultimately better and better focused and certainly um had a better theme i mean the the idea that the game should be about um the competing classes um or that the players should compete on different levels based on classes rather than um just trying to get an empire make it as strong as possible and make as much money as possible or whatever um, was was crucial and critically important. And so eventually we came to the conclusion and we started um, 
bouncing it back and back and forth, back and forth between us. But it was it was grueling, and it was um, it was it was really painful. We would um, whole whole you know I said nine or whatever, but I'm sure it was I'm sure it was more. But but seven disappeared in its entirety you know it's possible that five and nine look more similar to each other than seven and seven was just a total false start that never it wasn't this nice clean progression of oh it's you know monkey turns into ape turns into ape carrying a stick turns into guy standing upright typing on a computer (laughs) it was just random species thrown into the mix and some of them getting clubbed by other ones and um it was not a nice clean progression to the mountaintop and there was a period and i wrote it in the diary and i don't remember the timeline but some period where phil came to actually tucson he came to tucson and visited and once again with chris with chris peters our uh play tester extraordinaire um and an individual who's uniquely uh experienced at um uh maintaining the balance between me and phil um, uh, we played like every night I put my kids to bed and we would stay up late yelling at each other about, <laughs> about this <laughs> aspect or that aspect or whatever. And, um, even when he left the card, the card, uh, um, the, the card, uh, roster hadn't been finalized. We had completely redone the map idea. We'd broken up all the cards to move them apart from each other so that we you could play in the space between the cards. Um, we had uh, huge, huge redesigns. But eventually, um, it got passed back and forth enough. And it really, um, it really once again, there's another project where I wasn't sure about it when it went out. I just, I wasn't sure if people would be able to get it. It's really obtuse. It's really hard to pick up Pax Renaissance and be like, be like, okay, how do I improve my situation? I have a turn. I have actions. Mm-hmm. How do I make my world better? And it's like, <laughs> um, well, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and it's quite the shift from like Porfiriana has sort of a a relatively tight focus on like kind of what you're trying to do and and the way money flows around, and then right. Cole Worley's Pamir was also like a lot of people for a while said that was the best entry point into the pack series because it is it's a little more clear on like how you're moving stuff around and what you're doing um and and then suddenly pax renaissance is like what if it had every system that it could have and what if every icon uh like is that that we can think (laughs) of is being used here uh, and what if every right. piece had like three positions it could be in? It's it's like it's insane. It's such a densely packed and designed game. Um, but like High Frontier, like High Frontier, it somehow works. It somehow all comes together and coalesces into this like honestly brilliant design. I think it's it's yeah it's it's it is I would call one of my favorite games, and I think a lot of people agree. Uh, I know there's a guy that I talk to somewhat regularly who owns like four copies of it and he's like he's made custom his custom versions of it and has like he's just is obsessed with pax renaissance and uh i don't think he's alone i think it it is it whatever you ultimately put out definitely struck a chord with the right people we we me and phil were able to agree on certain 
like fundamental principles, like ideas from the era that just had to go in, like they just have to go in, you know, certainly money being tied to military trade routes, being tied to military generation, um, repression of certain classes resulting in un instability uh, within a particular empire. These were all um, really, uh, really important um, in the time period um, and were, ways for us to bridge certain gaps but as as i've mentioned this it was phil not me who who came up with the hey we need to be talking about the the, the classes all the chess piece stuff which is awesome in that game mm -hmm. all of that all of that came from phil's design uh, uh not from mine um and um the repression mechanic and and things like that um are all inherent to Phil's design. So um, as much as Pax Porfiriana, um, uh, I like to take credit for that one. Phil, Phil should take credit for, for Renaissance because um, huge, huge amounts of work went into that project. We, I, I guarantee, I guarantee that Phil would say that he gave up on that project at some point, that there was a point in time where he's like, this is done. It's doomed. It's over. Wow, and I I know I did, and those are situations where we would just bat it back and forth. I give up. Here you go, take it back. Take all the files back. Here you go. See what you can do. <laughs> like, like see what see what happens. And it took so long. I mean, it took it took so long that Phil and Cole made a completely different PAX game in the meantime. <laughs> I mean. It's 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 incredible. It's amazing how long Pax Renaissance took. It was is 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 brutal. So yeah, well brutal. yeah, I, I was gonna briefly mention Pamir. Uh, so you said that you wanted Renaissance to be the second Pax game, uh, but it wasn't. It was the third Pax game. Uh, how right. much was Renaissance design altered by the design and release of Pamir? That's a good question. I was not. I was not intimately involved in Premiere. I did do some play testing and I did provide some input. However, um, Phil was pr presumably very involved. And I think I mentioned this in the diary, but Premiere solved some really important problems that have to do with maps and geographical space as relative to cards that are dissociated from those pieces. So in Renaissance, you don't control pieces per se um in in pamir that's sort of where that idea sort of uh comes from and um uh is born i was not involved in the in 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 the pamir in pamir development um i was rooting for the project from afar uh i thought it was a really cool time period and in and interesting uh thematically um uh, but I wasn't, uh, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't mine. And like I said, all that got done without <laughs> <laughs> all in the time period while Renaissance was, you know, uh, uh, burning under some bridge somewhere in a garbage fire as uh, <laughs> we were hammering away on it. Um, so uh, I'm really, I, honestly, I'm sure Cole can take some credit for some of the, for some of the Renaissance, uh, for some of the Renaissance, um, uh, mechanics, uh, certainly some of the ones that are that are map based. Um, him and for him and Phil, whichever one of them, I, don't, I don't know the whichever one of them sorted that stuff out um, was really important um, when we saw that when we saw that those 
things could work in a PAX game, it was a lot easier to adopt them into the Renaissance game. Um, so even though we had to abstract a lot of stuff out. Like so, Porfiriana has it. Sort of has a map. Like there, there are a few locations where you know certain certain cards affect things in certain locations, but it's not like a physical map that you're moving stuff around on. Right. Was there a version of Renaissance early on that that like used a similar sort of like pseudo map system, and it was like suddenly it was oh hey, we're gonna do the map this way. Like was was there an early version of that game that is using salt like is closer to porfiriana um i would say i would say probably i remember one of the early sort of map ideas that phil had had you playing on edges of cards that were adjacent to each other so that's still a map which is above and beyond what porfiriana had. Mm -hmm. um so i guess i would I guess I'd say not exactly would be my answer, but but the idea that you have pieces in play, excuse me, that are not play that are not associated to individual players, um, and that instead represent interests, and you use card abilities to represent your your ability to actually affect map play. Um, I mean that's directly related to Pamir, right? Pamir's an entire game built about using cards to to affect map play, yeah. Um, uh, to leverage abilities and leverage locations to to map play. Um, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, I, th I think you can see um, yeah, the the lineage from Premier to Renaissance, or the influence, I should say, from Premier to Renaissance, mm -hmm. pretty clearly. Yeah, I I agree with all that. It didn't, it just, that part of it didn't go through me. So it's hard for me to comment. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, well, what about, um, the second edition of PAX Renaissance that it just, it just got funded on Kickstarter. Uh, you board game geek does give you a credit for that. Is that like a legacy credit because you had it from the original game or, uh, you know, do you have active involvement in the second edition? I do not have active involvement in the second edition. So I guess, a legacy credit might be the right choice there but my understanding is the game hasn't really dramatically changed and one thing is that we there are certain things that just the original components in the game gave us limitations so one of those was the third state which we had to we had to make cuts like there were time there were discussions about hey we have an empire it has two potential states it can only have one theocracy on it which theocracy that's not that's sure. not an obvious it's not an obvious answer based on the history i mean it could have gone this way or that way like uh you know if uh um if hungary falls you know uh, uh if vienna is successfully sieged it looks a lot different you know uh, but simultaneously it could have just as easily been swept up in the uh, in the reformation along with the holy roman empire um it, it, I'm glad I'm I'm heartened to see that Sierra Madre doesn't have to make those cuts based solely on components anymore. Um, the way we, you know, the way we did with every other project since the beginning of time where we killed off ideas or cards or mechanisms solely because the components wouldn't, wouldn't fit them. Um, there was such like a, a crunch in like box size for Sierra Madre for a while. Um, <laughs> That was a literal, there was an actual, like, I don't know, 500 grams. There was some, like, there was this, like, deadline where we had to measure, like, every little thing to make it fit the thing or whatever. But, um, 
all that experience of making players bring their own pennies to games and and all that stuff, uh, tiddlywinks, what what have you, uh, makes Sierra Madre games uniquely suited to giving you a a dense and compact uh, uh, product. Uh, with uh, every component having a really important purpose because uh, that was contributing against our 500 gram weight limit or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think PAX Renaissance, but the PAX series in general, but I think I think Renaissance maybe especially is sort of the king of like gameplay to box size ratio. It's like such a tiny, unassuming box and there's so much in there. And that's the case with, you know, Porfiriana and Transhumanity and and really a lot of Sierra Madre stuff. Um, just, yeah, it's always impressive what gets done with such a small, small, small footprint, at least in terms of box size. Once it's on the table, maybe it takes up a bit of space. But uh, yeah, yeah, certainly impressive stuff there. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this part of the interview with Matt Eklund. In the next part, we get into PAX Transhumanity. And that's basically it. We uh, talk about that game for quite a bit, so uh, be sure to look out for it and check it out when it's available. If you enjoy Phasing Player stuff, by all means, consider a donation. Go to phasingplayer.com donate for a handful of options. And of course, as always, thank you very much to everyone that has donated, either through PayPal with one-time donations or a recurring thing on Patreon. Uh, I appreciate every penny that anyone gives me, and it really helps me continue to make content for this channel to bring you guys. So anyway, uh, until the next video or the next audio bit, uh, stay healthy, stay cool. Uh, I will talk to everyone another time.